When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. Chad is back to talk about Ned's sixth POV chapter. Also, I include an excerpt of my conversation with Professor Lisa Wolfork, wherein we talk about the Baratheon mentality when it comes to inheriting the throne. So I'll include that up front. My conversation with Jana Matthews will be in the bird's eye view section. Without further ado, here is Professor Lisa Wolfork. But what was interesting to me, and this is the thing that always boggles my mind about the Baratheons, the Baratheons want to have an orderly line of succession, which I think is absolutely absurd considering that they took the throne by force. Why would they not think that you know when you when when you took it yeah. from the Targaryens who'd had it for hundreds and thousands of however many years they have in this society, yeah. you you took it you usurped them. It's like you they destroyed. blew up the bridge and then said, "Now no one now they, this bridge is sacred." After they blew it up, <laughs> yeah, they blew it up and they built a new one and said, "No one could ever blow up bridges again. This is this, this is a new permanent <laughs> thing." Yeah, basically, and it's just like, or and this is the thing that gets me with Stannis. I'm like, Stannis, you have got to be out of your damn mind. First of all, you're horrible. Second of all, <laughs> your brother killed for this throne. Yeah. Why do you think someone's just going to give it to you? I mean. Yeah. And and just that he's so incredulous about why anyone would ever oppose him, you know? Well, you know why? It's because this is something that he and Robert, he and um, Ned have in common. They believe in the structure. Right. You know, they might have broken one structure. They might have taken that person out. You know what I mean? But they never think that the structure itself is bad. They never look at the structure and say, you know what? This could just be some bullshit, you know, right. because they think that because they put, quote unquote, good people in it or, quote unquote, their people in it. Now it's going to be better. Right. And I think that like I'm thinking of like something Varys said, and I forget where he said it, but I think he's in conversation with Littlefinger where the two of them are both kind of acknowledging that this is a system built on lies. And for Littlefinger, that's that's sort of an excuse to just play fast and loose with the system. For Varys, it's like, yeah, but what if the only thing we have are lies? If, if not for the lies, yes. the other thing that we can get is chaos. Like, those are your two options. Mm. And I think that that in itself is a lie. But... I think that that's what holds a lot of it together is this belief that, yeah, we're all like living under this order that's built on a lie. But if we don't have the order, the only other option is chaos. And and it's so interesting. And this is what's so I think that in some of my other capacities as an anti-racist organizer and someone who's committed to the to black liberation, it's that people are really afraid of something new. And even if it's yeah, like, it looks hey, like chaos, yeah, right? yeah, ca- exactly. And so we hear words like chaos, we hear words like anarchy, and it strikes terror in the hearts of people. But it strikes terror in the hearts of people who are already being served well by the current system. Right. And yeah. this notion that that you call it chaos overlooks the fact that there are people living in chaos already. That's right. Under the system that you've created that you say is just. And it's it's a chaos that is is you know it like it's the devil you know right exactly it's lies but these are our lies yeah, that's right we've come a long way using these lies I'm gonna start with a bold statement Chad okay 
my bold statement is that Ned has decided to fight the wrong battle. There's battle is that. There's a severed head. There's a there's a woman's severed head <laughs> in the rainbow pool, Chad. And other than Varys, no one gives a damn. And here Ned is tootling around with a book of lineages and tracking down bastards at at the blacksmith's street. You have a weird soft spot for Varys. No one cares. I don't care about Varys in this case. I care that no one well, else cares said... about the damn severed head. That's it's very noteworthy. Everyone's shrugging off their severed head. He he did not say he cared. What did he say? It was dreadful. Something He's, like that. Well, it is dreadful. It is dreadful, but I don't I, I do not conclude that Varys cares or or that he cares very much. Um Okay. I, okay, it's very yeah, it's you know, it could be that Varys is just saying what he thinks ought to be said but why doesn't ned care about the severed head i don't think you are right to say that ned doesn't care ned immediately beefs up the what do they call them the gold cloaks with uh-huh. his own men in response to that mm-hmm. so i think on behalf of ned right i think what i would say is ned's already fought and and won that battle he's already addressed that issue there's a serial killer on the loose in King's Landing. <laughs> I, I don't know that there are multiple heads, but if there's one severed head floating no. in the rainbow pool, you can rest assured there will be more. And Ned <laughs> Ned is not doing enough to yeah. research that problem. Right. Well, he's playing the Game of Thrones. and Stupidly. Stupidly. Crime in King's Landing is... Uh, Send Jory to investigate the severed head, Ned. <laughs> it would it would not advance his interest when it comes to the game. Okay, alternate theory. Okay. Ned doesn't care about the severed head and doesn't really do much about it because Ned created the severed head. We know that Ned likes to lop off heads. Yeah. He likes to do it himself. He's out at night. No one knows this, but he's out at night chopping heads off this uh, is wild speculation yeah chopping heads off you're and and passing name. it off as general problems with the hands turning yeah well he's clearly frustrated with the hands turning he doesn't mm-hmm. want it to be called that okay fact fact number one yeah ned is a serial killer all right we know <laughs> that's a fact <laughs> If men travel south of the wall, he chops off their head and he makes sure that he swings the sword himself. He wants to do it. So he's killed multiple men in his life. Yes? Can you deny that, Chad? I do not deny that he has killed multiple men in his life. Yes. So Ned is a serial killer. That's fact number one. That's all it takes. Fact number two, his preferred method of murder is beheading. So you're saying... Fact number two, acknowledge the fact his preferred method of killing is... These arguments are not being given in good faith. Fact one, serial killer. Fact two, he prefers to chop off people's heads. And then we're met with this problem of a severed head floating in the rainbow pool and Ned (laughs) wants to change the subject. Yeah, QED. You got it. He's he's clearly at fault here. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't want to argue with you about this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it's a it's a pretty compelling case. It's a good thing that Ned's not a real person because you're really smearing him. <laughs> I, all I'm just here to relay the facts. That's what I that's what I'm here to do. Have you ever received a quote unquote honor? of the sort that Ned is receiving by uh, mm. Robert holding this tournament? I never have. In fact, the way that I was told that I made full professor was an email from the <laughs> accountant's department saying, hey, we forgot to upgrade your paycheck, and so you've been getting underpaid for the last six months. So uh, so here, here's here's the money. <laughs> that's how That's how little honor I was shown <laughs> when I made full professor. That's so much better than the usual way that's done. 
I prefer it. Absolutely, I prefer it. Because it was like, oh, wow, some money. And no one cared. Nobody cared but me. So Yeah, yeah. What about you? You ever uh, have you ever uh, been honored at a, a a Marshall tournament? No, I have not. But uh, I guess I've probably received extravagant gifts that I thought were, um, like a bad idea before. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to call anybody out. Mm-hmm. Come on, come on. You know, it's not nice. Who but... is it? It's my wife, isn't it? <laughs> No, no, your wife gives wonderful gifts. Um, <laughs> All right, Chad, I'm going to give my synopsis of the chapter. Excellent. All right. This is Ned's sixth POV chapter. Ned is doing Nedish things. He's complaining about the upcoming tourney. He's refusing to laugh at jokes. And he's shrugging off the news of severed heads. He lends his own men to the city guard to keep the peace, and he tells Baelish to find the money to pay for another 50 men. He returns to his tower to read a book that John Arryn borrowed before he died. It's a book of lineages and seems to be of little interest. Jory recounts his efforts to interrogate four witnesses that Baelish pointed out. One of the potboys mentioned a high-end armorer, so Ned visits the Street of Steel. There he talks to Mott and learns about Gendry. Ned deduces that John Arryn, for some reason, had tracked down Robert Baratheon's bastard. So, Chad, would you like to talk about a character, a theme, a plot point, or shall you and I climb the ladder of chaos? Can I choose a different option than any of those? Is that allowed? You're the first to suggest it. Yeah. And I'm going to allow it because I'm kind of curious to see what doesn't fit into these categories. Well, here's what it is. It's kind of like the Ladder of Chaos, but it's an orderly series of items that I wanted to cover. Oh, okay. It's not chaos. So it's just, it's just a ladder. Well, yeah. It's just a it's regular ladder. It's not a ladder, ladder of chaos. Regular ladder. It's, a, it's an orderly ladder. It's it's By an, the way, I don't know if you realize it's this. It's a but ladder of order. <laughs> I'd like to hear about the Ladder of Order that you're <laughs> suggesting. Okay, so the the first thing I wanted to ask about mm-hmm. is number 1. So in the cha- in this chapter we're told that uh Gendry was brought to this armorer by a mysterious figure, right? With a with a beard and, and a stout build and Yeah, I think uh, it's Varus. And round of shoulder and yes, online, if, you, if you're if you curious about this, like I was last night when I read it and I and I Googled mm. about it, it's pretty clear that uh, there's a lot of nerds online who think it's clearly Varys. I think, well, I am a, I guess I'm, I'm one of those. I'm a nerd. I haven't posted anything online, but I think it's Varys. Uh, but yeah. go, go ahead, continue. And, and I, I think it's, uh, here's my take on that theory. That's a plausible theory. And there is evidence that it was Varys. I'm going to read it. He was stout, round of shoulder, not so tall as you, brown beard. There was a bit of red in it, I'll swear. He wore a rich cloak that I do remember, heavy purple velvet, worked with silver threads. But he had a hood that shadowed his face. I never did see him clear. That's how he's described. Right. Go ahead. Continue. So the evidence is that we know Varys takes on a disguise of a bearded and cowled man Mm -hmm. because he appears in that guise to Ned when Ned is in the uh, black cells later in this book. Well, Varys was an actor in a former life, and so he's got disguises. Sure. And and he's so we know he he has disguises. He's a little shorter than Ned. He's round, you know, he's a stout of build, you know, that kind of thing. It's easy to throw on a beard and a hood. That's that's what he did. And then in Clash of Kings, uh, Varys says to Tyrion that that he, Varys, took steps to make sure that Gendry would make it out of King's Landing after it became known that he was Robert's bastard. That's the evidence, okay? Okay. I, I find that inconclusive. Mm-hmm. 
But let's suppose. Yeah, it's it's a lot weaker than my Ned is a serial killer theory, <laughs> which is very very strong. <laughs> You'll have let's, to admit. Let's suppose, though, for the sake of argument, that Varys it really is Varys, and so he's had a long term concern with Gendry and making sure that Gendry's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, why would Varys care so much about Gendry? Well, I it's hard to know Varys's motives about anything. That's the first right. thing I'll say. One thing that we do know about Varys is that he's not all that invested in the Baratheon lineage. In fact, he may have designs to put a Targaryen back on the throne. Right? Yeah. So if he has access to a potential Baratheon usurper, that may allow... I mean, he may just be saving away a little chip to sort of sow dissent in the Baratheon ranks. Yeah. That's... I, I mean, it could be an asset that he doesn't know what he's going to do with yet. Um, but it's not beyond his purview to kind of try to keep keep sort of an ace in his sleeve. You know what right. I mean? Now, when someone is illegitimate in this world... That's a pretty big mark against them as an heir. Unless they get a big old army. Yeah. And say, you know, you need a here's what you need to be king in this world. More than lineage, you need a big old army and a good narrative. And if you can come up with that, then you can rally the troops. Yeah. Uh because other lords will flock to power. Yeah. And as long as there's some sort of narrative that legitimizes someone, you know, they'll make sense of it. You know, they'll make the narrative work for them so that they can maintain their own seat. Right. right. Um, so, you know, if someone like Varys ever decided he wanted to create enough trouble for Robert to sort of be looking this way while there's really, you know, a Targaryen, uh, claimant coming from the other direction mm-hmm. i don't know you know I'm just, this is all kind of just you know a, a possibility i i i'll repeat what i said before i don't really understand Varys's motives yeah okay but you're pretty convinced that it's Varys who was saving gendry i i mean i don't know for certain but it seems like from what we know what we learn of Varys later on this sounds like a lot of what the kinds yeah. of things that Varys does. Yeah, yeah, he dresses up. He, you know, he's he's dealing actually kind of kindly with this boy. You know, he's giving him a good a good life, right? And he probably wants something out of him eventually, but he wants to know where he is. He wants to stow him away somewhere, uh, even if he doesn't know yet what what the use is. Right. He knows that there's value there, and he doesn't want the value to just kind of slip away into the the gutters and wind up in a bowl of brown. Is it possible that he just is a, has a, a streak of goodness in him, Varys? I think so. I think yeah. he really does care about the realm. I think he, he Varys is one of the very few people in the story that comes from common birth. Mm-hmm. And he's not a lord, although some people call him lord. And when he says that he cares for the realm or, you know, trying to keep some semblance of sort of order so that the small folk don't suffer, I believe him when he says that. I don't think yeah. he's out for his own. Yeah. You know, I don't think he's I don't think he's analogous to Littlefinger in that way. Right. And that's right. why I think those two are interesting dialogue partners. Yeah. They're both very underhanded with very different motives. That's yeah, my so th- that's my so take on Varys. So you're you have you as I noted before, you have sort of a soft spot for Varys. And I do uh, a little bit, yeah, I do. And he may on in your view, he may be one of the few characters who's actually on some level maybe just a streak of of good uh concern with actual good. I think he has a moral compass. Yeah, that's it. I think he does. And I think, like we talked about previously, I think that he's willing to get his hands dirty and do, quote-unquote, 
bad things because he thinks that there's a greater good at the end of it. Do we know of Varys ever doing anything evil? Well, that's a good question. I mean, he spies on people, but I don't I know. I mean, if that's... he's he he's got a, a child labor problem. <laughs> okay, by the standards of this world, though, I mean that's not a child labor problem. He's clearly put these kids to work. Yeah, probably paying them in candy or whatever. He's probably making them work more than four hours on a school night. Absolutely. Yeah. He's not seen to their education as far as I can tell. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's to say, like, not we're not too aware of, of anything real dark that Varys has done. He may I would, be yeah, I would have to kind of really sort of yeah. put a microscope on that. Maybe maybe listeners can can fill in the blanks. You can book at baldmove.com. Let me know if Varys has ever done anything that's clearly immoral yeah uh i would be very interested to know i'd be very a little bit like strider he he seems uh bad at first but he actually is good honestly i don't even know if varus is a eunuch (laughs) yeah that's that's a good point i mean i don't know if anyone's checked and if you wanted to make yourself an outsider right so no one really wants to get close to you Right. And confuse the motives of, you know, what people would consider the usual motives of men. Yeah. Telling people you're a eunuch when you're not really a eunuch. Right. You could probably confuse a lot of people. Yeah, that's true, you know, and it kind of fits too. Because sometimes I've wondered, like, Varys is so smart and and so strategic. Mm. Why does he present himself in such a creepy fashion. Yeah, you know? I don't know. He has a well, weird smell. He dresses weird. You know, There are he, two major theories on this, Chad. He overdoes it with the powder. One theory is that he's actually Illyrio Mopatis' wife. And he's oh. and she is passing herself off as a eunuch. Uh-huh. The second theory is that Varys is a merman. Right. I've heard that. Yeah. And I prefer the latter to be sure, but unfortunately I, I think that maybe I'm going to be disappointed on that front. Ends. Okay, my next question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but ver- we're moving on in a very orderly fashion. Okay. Um, my next question is, what's Renly up to with the locket? That was very... I don't remember that. I, when I was reading this chapter this time, I was thinking, I don't remember this. Yeah. I must have skipped right over this because... I'm not sure what to think about that whole thing, and I don't know what to think about Ned's take on it. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna read this because I think a lot of our listeners won't remember this passage. Yeah, Ned was not sure what to make of Renly with all of his friendly ways and easy smiles. A few days passed. He had taken Ned aside to show him an exquisite rose gold locket. Inside was a miniature painted in the vivid mirror style of a lovely young girl with doe's eyes and a cascade of soft brown hair. Renly seemed anxious to know if the girl reminded him of anyone, and when Ned had no answer but a shrug, he had seemed disappointed. The maid was Loris Tyrell's sister Marjorie, he had confessed, but there were those who said she looked like Lyanna. No, Ned has told him, bemused. Could it be that Lord Renly who looked so like young Robert, had conceived a passion for a girl he fancied to be a young Liana that struck him as more than passing queer. So does Renly have a love for Liana? That's the first question. The answer is no, right? It's a good question. Uh, The second question is, Ned seems to think it's strange that maybe Renly, who looks so much like Robert, has affection for a girl that looks so much like Liana. But Ned doesn't think that it is Liana, or it looks anything like Liana. I've just figured out what the problem is here, Chad. Okay. Do you have a... a, um, a theory on this because I I feel pretty convinced by my theory that I just concocted in my head. I still think that Renly is on Robert's team at this point. 
I don't think that Renly is, I think Renly is thinking that maybe if she looks like uh, Ned's sister, mm-hmm. maybe they can get Robert interested in her instead of Cersei. Here's my theory. It's not a, a miniature made to look like um, Marjorie. It's a miniature made to look like Loras, who we know has long flowing locks of brown hair. And Renly has had this made, but he's going out of his way to show people, hey, look, I, I had this made of Marjorie. And of course, it's in a style where you can't really tell. And uh, so this is Renly's beard. I would say this is Renly's beard. He's trying to make people like Ned think that he has a um, a soft spot or he has a little crush on Marjorie when in reality he and Loris are together. That's, that is my take on this. You don't see it as anti-Cersei scheming? I don't see it as anti-Cersei scheming. I think that Renly is trying to fashion a narrative so that people don't suspect him of being gay do you okay do you think that in this do we have evidence that renly would want to hide the fact that he was gay so up until this moment up until this very moment i was thinking you know the the show really kind of played this up and in reality we have very little evidence that renly was gay we have this one sort of cryptic claim that it'd be really hard for him to conceive children it was like made by a joke of one of his brothers like like, yeah, yeah, good luck with that. Because they yeah. know something about Renly that would make it hard for him to, to sire an heir or something. Yeah. Um, but this seems to me like uh, like maybe Martin told Weiss and Benioff what was only implicit in this narrative. Right. Yeah, it, it seems a very odd thing. And then what does Martin do? Ned response to say this is more than passing queer yeah which means one thing in an ancient context and another thing in a modern context i think this is martin's wink to us you think that he is queer yeah Uh uh-huh that's what i think i don't know maybe it's it feels like a stretch i'm not sure that's i that is my that's my take on this and I'm not as that. certain as the Ned is a serial killer part, <laughs> right. but I do feel like I'm I'm onto something. But I will go to that other that the other suggestion that you made. I do think that Renly already has designs for the throne. Is that I, right? Okay. I think he already is putting pieces in place, uh, maybe making an alliance with the Tyrells or whatever. I think he's already kind of fashioning uh, an alternative plan in the case of Robert's death. I don't I don't know if he's plotting Robert's death, but I think he thinks I better be good at politics, I better be good at glad-handing the masses and being, you know, be, making myself into sort of a populist leader because I may have to battle Stannis at some point for the throne. Mhm. That's that's my take on Renly's sort of real politic. Yeah, okay. All right, I have one other question I want to ask. Okay. This is the last rung. Okay, of the orderly ladder. I remember the first time I read this chapter, and I thought uh, that John, based on this chapter, I thought, oh, probably Jon Snow is a Baratheon. Because of his black hair, uh, you know he he doesn't actually have black hair. I think he has brown hair, and he's supposed to look like a Stark, right? Mm-hmm. But I just I think my reasoning was really simplistic, and I know that this is not. I think this is not true now. I mean, I think this is known to be not true, but um, my reasoning was something like, "Oh, I see." So we have a, a situation here where it's coming out that that Robert has kind of scattered illegitimate children all across the realm. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're kind of learning in this chapter. And then we know that John is a, at least supposed to be an illegitimate child. Mm -hmm. And it's by now 
you know, even a casual reader will have wondered who really is John, you know, this, who, who really is John's father? Is it really Ned or is it, mm-hmm. is Ned covering for someone? And I think you just put all that together and it's, it's at least a natural idea that, oh, maybe, maybe he's a Baratheon uh, offspring and, uh, you know, wh- why that needs to be covered up is a, is a good question, but, um, well, do you have you heard my alternate theory on this one? No, my alternate theory is that Liana doesn't know who's the who's the father. It could yeah. be Robert, or it could be Rhaegar. So I think the the Rhaegar people argue that we know. I don't, I don't know how they think we know this, but they they seem to think that we know that Robert and Liana had no liaison. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um. I do know that um, that every in the books, everything that we know about John's true parentage, yeah, is filtered through Ned's memory of Liana's confession. Right. And here's the wild card: I think I detect from Martin a little frustration that that his schemes were were uncovered and mm-hmm. and exposed before the appointed time. Mm. Um, and so I think that people basically had it right that Rhaegar was right. the intended father. But I but the, I think a, a big question that comes up is, is Martin frustrated enough to just figure out a way to engineer a change? <laughs> uh, and I, I, don't th- I don't think that's impossible, right. but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so. Could, I think, could... here's what I think is uh, indubitably true. Liana is convinced that it's Rhaegar's son. Yeah. Or she was convinced that it was Rhaegar's son. Okay, okay. Um, now, when I told this to my sister, Tara, she was like, no, come on. I don't think, I don't think that, Ray, uh, that Robert ever consummated with Liana. And maybe that's why he continues to hold a crush on her. She's, a, she's different than all of the other wenches that he's bedded in the, in the right. kingdom. An emailer... Uh, sent me an email and said he thinks that Robert might have raped Liana, and then he's projected that onto onto Rhaegar. Like, where did that idea come from? Yeah, maybe he's projecting his own. Um, that to me is like, yeah, I don't know. I don't. That that seems pretty far fetched. Although, here's what I here's what else I know factually is that hair color seems to reveal the plot in Martin's world more often than not. Yeah. He likes to use that little device. Right. So that was the last rung on your ladder, huh? That's it. We're at the top. We can okay. now order in an orderly fashion. Please exit the ladder. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, some notable introductions. Um, we meet uh, Tobo Mott or Tob, Tobho Mott. I'm not sure how to say that. <laughs> Don't ask me, man. Yeah. He's the, uh, you know, he's the sort of the high end uh, armor, and he's uh, he knows how to uh, craft Valyrian steel. He claims, yeah, and he knows the spells that will, you know, that you have to use to, you know, bind the steel. That's an easy thing to claim when there's no Valyrian steel around. That's right. He claims that he's learned it in the forges of Kohor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Uh, that's that's a bold claim, Mister Mott. Yeah, uh, we meet uh, uh, Gendry for the first time. Gendry should be taller. The the actor that they chose to play Gendry in the show. Yeah, they wanted him to seem boyish, I, I suppose. But he ought to be taller, I think. Well, they they have to have chemistry with Arya, right? Mm. So that's yeah, a little tricky. I guess so. And she's still kind of a little, a little girl. Uh-huh. Yeah, I never bought that chemistry. Um, we hear, you know, we hear about Stannis' ugly daughter for the first time. So that that's the first time we hear about that. Uh, book versus show differences. The major one here for me is that we find out that Stannis was involved in some of Lord Arryn's detective work. Like Stannis is going around with John Arryn trying to find these bastards, right? And so then I was going to ask you: Is that why Stannis has removed himself to 
Dragonstone? And if not, why has Stannis removed himself to Dragonstone? Yeah, I guess the way I read it is, I mean, it never really spells it out, I think, but I, I guess he, he looks at the situation. He came to the conclusion that Robert is both a fool and also surrounded with uh, murderous schemers. Mm-hmm. And so he sees no way to save Robert. Uh, Robert's doomed. So he realizes, well, I've got to, I've got to kind of retreat and gain, you know, gather what strength I can to prepare for the, you know, inevitable conflict mm-hmm, when, mm-hmm. you know, Robert meets his doom. The one thing I was thinking about was, I mean, the, the first thing I thought about was, okay, so John Arryn was killed because he was poking around trying to find out who Robert's bastards were. And then, so he thought, well, I'm out of here. There's someone's going to kill. If someone's going to kill the hand of the King, they're absolutely going to kill me. But then I thought that's not really like Stannis to sort of tuck tail and run. Right. The other thing I was thinking of, well, he thought, well, if Robert's days are numbered, the Targaryen tradition is that the heir to the throne is the Lord of Dragonstone. And so he thinks I need to go to Dragonstone uh, for yeah. symbolic reasons. Yeah. I I want to I want to make sure that I establish myself as the Lord of Dragonstone, which he is in name or whatever. But I'm going to actually be there so symbolically when I come to take the throne, I've come from Dragonstone just like all those other Targaryen kings. Right. That that was that was the second thing that occurred to me and I honestly I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, those why. seem both like good reasons. I, I don't, I'm sure he, it's plausible that he would think of both of those reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing this podcast for a while now. I don't know what comes next. <laughs> I think that we're supposed to end it now. Yeah. Cause we, we did the synopsis. You chose you chose something that wasn't the ladder of chaos, but some some other kind of ladder. Maybe that's what's thrown me. Yeah. Um, I put forth my theory about Ned's serial killing ways. We did introductions and show differences. It's not it's not a serious theory. I think it's pretty. I think it's no, pretty compelling. You're not sincere. It's not. It's not being offered in good faith. <laughs> It's impossible. It's impossible for you to know. Um, oh, it's, it's not that <laughs> so I think that's it. I think we're done. Okay. All right. Well, it seems like I'm forgetting something. Book versus show differences. Maybe I'm supposed to tell you that. Uh, thank you for being on the 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 program and tell you that it was delightful. That's what I usually say. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Chad, it was delightful. Thanks. Now, Steve and I cover Second Sons. This is the eighth episode of season three. This is the Tyrion and Sansa wedding episode. Drunken Tyrion doing his drunken Tyrion things. And poor Gendry gets strapped to Mel's bed. Here is comic Steve Osborne. Steve is Dario Naharis attractive? Who that? So Dario is the, uh, he's like the tall, oh, blonde oh, yeah. mimbo for Danny. Uh, no. <laughs> so you're going to say no, he's not attractive. That's, a, that's an easy no for me. Really? Yeah. Okay. You disagree? That's interesting. Again, I think he's a, I think he's a handsome man. Mm, I think he's a goofball. <laughs> a goofball come on man you have to disrespect him <laughs> hey man you asked my opinion <laughs> he's a goofball he doesn't want to pay women for sex and he only wants to kill someone that wants to kill him yeah no i really like sort of his life ethic <laughs> i liked him as the basis and winger <laughs> He does have a little bit of that sort of early 80s rock persona. Now, in the book, 
he's got purple hair and a gold tooth. Now, why would you omit that? Purple hair and a gold tooth, man. Interesting. So, I mean, would that help you? So would, would that I help think you? it would. So, I mean, we're to take it that her um, her slinking out of the tub. She's she's equally smitten. Well, okay. So he he's a little bit like a cat that brings you a dead bird as a gift. Right. Where you kind of be like, I don't really want a dead bird, but I see you've gone to the effort. Right. So maybe that's it. She's like, look, I didn't really want, you know, severed heads <laughs> on my on my bathroom floor. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bathe it. But it's the thought that counts. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a unconventional icebreaker. So add to our dismemberment count. Yeah. And I don't miss I don't miss those guys. Those guys sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think she I think she's smitten. I think I think she likes I think she likes what she sees. I don't know if it's sort of like she likes the way he looks or she likes his boldness. Well, he or he's, what, or maybe just the whole package. Well, it's, he appears to be down for the cause for whatever reason. He's down for the cause. Mm-hmm. He's an effective swordsman. Took out the other two captains, uh, or the lieutenant and the captain, I guess. And then mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. he uh, he sneaky. He got into the camp. Okay. Well, and in the same way that Danny doesn't like to be disrespected, I think that I think flattery works on her to a certain extent. And, you know, he, he basically says, we disagreed over the profundity of your beauty or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, we're all yeah, we, we're all a little bit susceptible to flattery. Yeah. And, he, right? and he's, he's got a little sass. And... Sure. So there's that guy. He's new. We're going to have to he's going to be going to have to deal with the goofball. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard him described as a goofball. I give him another look. Mel and Gendry. Mel and Gendry. Yeah. So we're all set up to see her make a smoke baby. Yeah. And instead she she pulls the stand by me on him. Yeah. She sure does. So so I'm leech right on the junk. So I'm so I'm a little bit confused. And I think I'm supposed to be to a some degree, right? I mean, I don't think I'm supposed to know what that whole point was or or did I miss it? Well, you tell me. Right, you're a pretty astute observer. Well, so she, well, my, I took it as because I, there was the phrase, you know, the blood of, um, you know, Baratheon. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot King of blood. blood. He's got a lot of blood. So, whereas you know, it seemed to be that that Stannis was under the impression that he was going to be sacrificed. Um, we were under the impression, if I'm reading all this correctly, that we were under the impression that he was just going to be pumping smoke babies. Um, now it seems like there may be other, other elements to his, uh, to, to having him available. Um, one of which I think still is to pump in the smoke babies. But. Okay. Well, all right. So I think here's how I'm reading this. So just a little bit of Stannis's semen goes a long way right right you can make a make a smoke baby out of that although maybe his virility is low or something now and a little bit of blood i think that i think that this little bit of blood is supposed to be proof to davos that a little bit of king's blood goes a long way too okay and so i don't know the they they sacrifice this tiny little bit of you know these leeches by naming Stannis's competitors, right? And they didn't. And then they didn't serve as voodoo dolls or anything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's that's a good point. Um, but then the ultimate, I think the ultimate thing is okay. Yeah, if 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 I can do this with this amount of blood, right? Mm-hmm. Then if I do a a burnt sacrifice of an entire kid with king's blood just think of the amazing things i can do for you but what did it do when he did the little blood thingy i don't think we've seen oh okay all right so that I, I that's where that, i was like am i am i supposed to know what happened and if that's i think that there's a little bit of, of a cliffhanger gotcha. here okay now we do know that mel doesn't quite know the limits to the the power here right we've established that she's 
she thinks she's got it figured out, but maybe she doesn't have it all. Well, figured the resurrection out. still sort of vexes her. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that. Okay, Sam and Gilly. Oh yeah. Now, did you catch the whole tree crow thing happening outside? So this is a this is a weirwood tree. Okay. But the face. Have we talked? Have, yeah, have we talked about weirwood trees at all? I don't believe we have. All right, these are important for the world building here. So Ned Stark and his folk worship these tree spirits. Yeah, we've seen the well, there's the 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 tree that they always hang out under, right? Yeah, yeah, the tree at Winterfell or whatever. If you're a true believer, you actually believe that the gods are looking out for you when you're near the trees. Okay. I think the show is trying to tell us in so many words someone's looking out for Sam. Ah, uh, okay. So you got that tree, the trees are kind of overlooking, and then all the crows start warning him that there's trouble a brewing. I think we see two types of magic, at least in the scene. The ice monster magic, but also sort of the uh the three eyed raven mm, kind of magic. And Sam gets to save the day. Does he leave the dragon glass behind? Went into him. White Walker disintegrates and then the dagger drops and then they run it could be a an adrenaline thing i kind of thought that the the dagger disintegrated too is that not the case i thought i saw it hit the ground okay all right yeah i don't know i don't know what's i don't know about that it's a good question i do know that when he found that cache of he finds like a horn and a bunch of obsidian right I think that there was more than one dagger in there. Okay. Uh, so, all right. Sam, whose primary attribute was really cowardice up until this point. He sort of was able to push through the cowardice and kill one of the big baddies. Yeah. Which now we know that they're sort of, they've got a kryptonite. They have a kryptonite and Sam is at this point, the only one that knows it. So Sam's survival is now, now it matters more. Right. So Sam, yeah, right. So Sam's superpower was always that he read something in a book and now he knows how the world works or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so Sam, yeah, Sam's brain needs to be preserved. So yeah, Hound and Arya, on, uh, their, their journey begins. Yeah. All right. Good. So the hound uh, claims to be taking Arya to sell her to her mother and brother. Right. And uh, she didn't try to kill him. She could have tried to kill him. Right. She was afraid that. Well, she just saw him best a dude with a fire sword. So it was probably like, eh, I'd have to be real, real good at killing somebody with a rock. And I probably haven't done it yet. He's on her list. He's on the list. Uh, but maybe she's thinking, well, if this guy's going to take me to my my mother and brother, right? Maybe I let the guy live for a while. Um, she she said in the previous episode when uh, I think was it Barrick said, uh, "Who's your one true god or whatever?" She says death, which is, is sort of a call back to Sirio's line, like, "What do we say to the god of death? Not today." Mm-hmm. She's sort of taking those teachings almost religiously at this point. Right. And when she goes to sleep, she says a little, you know, death list yeah, prayer. Yeah. Cersei does not like to be called sister. Ooh, Don't do not baby. call. Do not call her sister. That was good. All right. That was good. All right. So we have a little bit of world building here with Marjorie and Cersei, where she's explaining this really popular song, Reigns of Castamere. Mm-hmm. And the just the whole gist of the song is this song was written in honor of Tywin, who basically completely wiped out another house because they disrespected him. Right. And Tywin is like, all right, is that, that's what you think about me. I'm going to kill everyone and everyone that's related to you. And uh, all around Westeros, they like to sing this little song, Reigns of Castamere. And uh, it's supposed to tell you just what a badass Tywin is. And by proxy, I suppose Cersei is a badass. I think that that's her point. And I think Marjorie takes the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
this is the Tyrion wedding episode. It is. And uh, I guess there was a part of me that didn't think it was going to happen for some reason, you know, like. Well, because, you know, in the, in the modern world, we do engagements like, you know, months, sometimes years ahead. Of well, and then also it's like we're so used to like weddings that shouldn't happen getting interrupted at the last, you know, the final moment. Sure. And uh, it was not the case here. <laughs> and uh, boy, Joffrey just has it out for Tyrion. Yeah, he does. Well, and he's got, it's like the perfect scenario, right? Because he doesn't, he, he has it out for Sansa too. And so. Joffrey. All right. So here's Joffrey's real power because we saw what, how little power Joffrey actually has. If it's just him and Tywin alone in a room. Right. But if they're in public. Right. Joffrey can do whatever he wants. Because now if anybody who chastises the king is, you, you almost are compelled to punish him publicly. He can say, bring me his head. He can say that anytime he wants. And uh, then ju- then he takes the stool away from Tyrion oh, just, <laughs> just to humiliate the guy. See, uh, they, that was very well directed, too. They just took their time with all of it. Yep. And so you kind of get this idea that's like, okay, you don't slap me. I'm going to remember it. I can have you killed, and you know that I can have you killed. And so you're just going to have to take this humiliation. Yeah. Yeah, man. And let me just say, drunk Dinklage is a, just a beautiful sight. Oh, man. Yeah, that's another scene we watched several times. <laughs> drunk Dinklage. It's an incredible fantasy football team name, and it's just an incredible thing to see. <laughs> this could be his... I mean, if you were going to come up with sort of the top Tyrion episodes, this has got to be up there. He's delivering... This massive range of regret, drunk regret, powerlessness. The threat, the threat to Joffrey. Yeah, you're going to be using a wooden cock. Oof. I mean, and just sort of that, uh, now I'm going to pretend like it was a joke so I don't die right now. Right. He's using the whole canvas this episode. And then the whole thing where Shay comes in and realizes they didn't actually consummate. Yeah, that was, that was kind of a sweet moment in a way, right? Yeah, she's it's sort of like if ever you were thinking, is this going to ruin them or or not? I think it keeps hope on the line. It keeps, yes, that's right. You're still hoping that those two are going to figure it out, even after his wedding to someone else. Right? Yeah, fourteen year old, by the way. Yeah, that's bad. I I vomited during the act once. Yeah, I'll tell you all about it to get you in the mood. What does he say? I'm not proud to admit it, but I think honesty is important. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's like, these are all the thoughts that are going through his mind that normally get filtered. Right. <laughs> and then I think my favorite line of the entire episode is when he raises his cup and says, and now my watch begins. Yeah. Right? This is, this is a, you know, he's now he's a, he's a celibate member of the night's watch. Yep. yep. In a sense. Right. Yeah, that's pretty good. Cersei's complete dismissal of Loras. I, oh, I, yeah. I really like that scene. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> just so to you the can point. Just imagine that scene just getting drawn out. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> just nope. Hear what your father had to say. <laughs> <laughs> that was a total nope scene. Oh, that was great. <laughs> And so now we're headed into uh, episode nine of the season, which, you know, we should, yeah, we should expect episode to nine. my expectations that sh- this should be a biggie now, but this show is also about a, a subverting expectations. Sure. That's the thing. So right? this is where this is, we're going to find out if it's a trend, right? Yeah. Where if this is the, but again, the subversion of expectations, so it could be that not much happens, but I mean, you've had two seasons and maybe people aren't fully at the expectation yet but or we're finding out if this thing is like i said three is usually a trend right i mean that's kind of the the rule of thumb that's right i mean we have a number of characters who are in peril well they always seem to be all in peril sam is certainly in peril right right? yeah gendry could easily well gendry as far as we know is still tied to a bed that seems problematic yeah there were, I mean, look, there you could be Theon at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. Would you rather be? Would you rather be Theon or Gendry? I, I would rather much. Well, there are now. Gendry. There's the questions I can see because you could, you could conceivably think that Theon is is dead, right? Like 
they cut it up. They let them bleed out. But I get the sense that it's like that they would go through the extra effort of. Oh, I would imagine they want to keep him. Right, 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 right. Because uh, you don't. Yeah, the, yeah. One of the points, especially if you're not torturing for information, you're torturing to. To, to keep this torture going and that's where i'm that's where i guess the curiosity you know after our last conversation about um what does this do for the ramsey characters like there's gonna be, I, I feel like there's gotta be some and at some point the point of this was for rob's sake right i mean that's now whether well, or not, whether or not ramsey, or it's just that ramsey just likes doing it. well sure ramsey's has been given the opportunity to do something but the overall purpose not from ramsey's perspective necessarily is this is for rob rob wanted something done for what he did to uh winterfell um and so you would assume that at some point rob is gonna like want to like check the receipts and i think rob wants him alive i think rob wants to question him himself i I think he said as much like and so this is where i'm curious right so like if we're meant to have our relationship to stay complicated by the just the utter degree of sadism that he's encountering is is that setting up for the possibility that we see a a compassionate rob in this regard and what would and what would that do you know i guess that's what so that's kind of what what i'm curious about is is well here's the thing if rob believes ramsey he will believe that his brothers are alive so there's no need for vengeance i mean he could take vengeance for these commoners sure that they unkilled and he could take vengeance for what happened at Winterfell, but at least there's not this sort of added motivation to take vengeance for the death of Rickon and Bran. Right. Uh, but this all assumes that Rob is going to believe what Ramsey says about the boys being alive. Right. I mean, look, if Lady Stark has her way, Theon is dead meat. Yeah. 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 I feel like, the only person at this point with narrative armor is Stannis. And the reason why I'm saying that is that he says this line where he saw a vision of a great battle in the snow. Right. And seemingly that suggests to me that, okay, this was sort of some sort of prophecy that he believes in. And so to, he needs to live at least long enough to sort of have a battle in the snow. Right. Cause obviously if he sees the battle, and he wants to move towards the battle, the battles would appear to have been in his favor. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if this, if this is what's motivating him. So I think that Stannis is good. I I think I think every one of these other characters could go bye-bye. Well, John is, John is, uh, seems like fair game because he's got the complication of love and having to decide if he's got to go on uh-huh. this this fool's errand, so to speak. Well, an indecision is can be death, right? Right. You know, if you don't try to be something and something else, that that is the way of getting yourself murdered. Right. Now they're headed to the wedding, right? Yeah. Edmure's wedding, where Rob can't be too popular there. Rob's not popular there, and we know that uh, Walder Frey is uh, prickly. He's <laughs> prickly. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot of things converging at Edmure's wedding because uh, we're, so we're going to see the phrase again, of course. And then Rob and his mother are going there and the ha- hound and Arya. Right. That's because that he knows that's where they're headed. So that's where they're where they're going off to. And Jamie says something interesting, not in this episode, but the previous episode. Doesn't he say something like uh, give Rob my regards or something like that? to lord bolton right so lord bolton may be going to the wedding and but we know that lord bolton has made some kind of deal with jamie right yeah, that, so that's that, an interesting deal too right because there was a deal that was made between jamie and catlin that's right and ruse bolton seems to be doing something that was going to really piss off rob but that will sort of get himself in the good graces of Catelyn. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic too there, right? I mean, that's uh this is a a choice that that Bolton has made that it's it's a little it's a little odd. I'm trying to figure out yeah, I, I kind of I don't know how that fits in with his relationship with Robin. If it just in I think what we're seeing it seems like and correct me if I'm wrong is the the uh the legend of Rob is is has been short-lived. Oh, in what way? Well, I mean, before it was it was there was the sense of, you know, man, this guy's he's young, he's 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 full of spunk, he's not losing any battles, he's got people that follow him, they seem to really be into him. 
and yeah. we've seen it with the oh the car start, car start. Yeah. yeah so like that that issue's been there he's already made some questionable choices by you know foregoing an oath to be married to somebody else there's this um it just seems like you know we're seeing a lot of chipping away at rob that like maybe rob would have much rather just be married and stay in winterfell and so it feels like he's well he's sort of like some of his his legend is being stripped tywin's already talked about how like he, there's less people so they, they, he seems to be becoming less of a threat to folks and even he seems to be less motivated in this in the way that he was originally so here's someone that for whatever reason he's a great warrior and yet because he's not nearly as good with the intrigue as tywin that he could perceive himself as losing the war. Mm -hmm. All these little relational political decisions. Uh, he's not, he doesn't seem to be doing as well on that front. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't seem to, to recognize the importance of it. Right. Like that's the difference between say like the, a Tyrion and a Tywin where right. like Tywin will move his own children as chess pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's like, look, I don't really care. This is not what this has never been. It's never been about you. Whereas Rob is like, hey, I'm going to change my mind because I'm in love with this person now, even though this could cause all kinds of problems that other people have. And, and I think even Edmure even said, said as much, right? Like, I'm having to do this because of your oath breaking. You know, mm -hmm. we're having to pay the price. You, you're ordering us to pay, to pay a price for something that you caused. All right. So if you were going to put sort of a bet down, let's say that the season goes to form. And there's some major death that happens on this ninth episode. Mm -hmm. You're going to put a bet down. Who's going to be on the death pool? Top the death pool. Lady Stark. Lady Stark. Wow. That's a surprising. That is a surprising answer. We haven't even talked about Lady Stark very much. And I kind of feel like that's, that's why. She's always kind of in the midst of danger, right? So she could be in a situation where she is reunited with her, with one of her daughters. Yeah. Um, she's kind of in the, she did the negotiation to get Rob. Oh, right. Cause Walder Frey and her made the deal initially. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of high drama op opportunity here. Right. And then that could be also the fire that sparks Rob, because Rob is already comp like he's he seems to be well, that would certainly spark Rob, it would also spark Arya, right? Right, right. So now, if you have no parents, it feels like Rob is like he's a little sparkless right now, <laughs> like he really was super motivated when it was about avenging his father. And then, life's like he started, you know, things started kind of going not well, but like hey, he's 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 revered, he's in love, he's gonna have a child. These are all things that seem to like, like, like his father, maybe or something that's more of a priority for him. And, and something happens to his mother that it, good or bad, like it may motivate him, right? Like if, if he gets motivated by again, another element of revenge. Well, and if he's still on the sort of, if she dies and those two are not reconciled, then it'll make it all the worse. Right. Right. Exactly. So there's, so that becomes an interesting dramatic, point i mean i guess that and that's and maybe i'm looking at it more less of a narrative leading me to that more of a uh this would be a an interesting plot mover huh yeah and it would you know be pretty dramatic i mean no one because again it because she hasn't really been in perceived as being in danger most mostly being sort of like a little bit of a complicator but also kind of a voice of reason i'm an endearing yeah. character seems like that works pretty well for for the show well, shall we plan to reconvene after you watch this next episode? Absolutely. How common was child marriage? Yeah, so mm, not that common, right? I think the best answer is not as common as we would think. And the the most common examples that we have come from royalty, high-ranking kings and queens and, and, and dukes and duchesses. And those were political alliances. And many times those marriages, as we've seen in Game of Thrones, were formed the minute that a baby was born. You know, you know the sex and uh, mm. the gender of that child. And so they're married off to 
an individual from another country to form a political alliance. And the there were all like there were all sorts of rules and codes that that governed those marriages. And so just because you were married or you're betrothed to someone didn't actually mean that that relationship was consummated. In fact, there was pretty strict rules and laws regarding that. So even if a marriage happened, let's say when a woman technically came of age, which was usually 12, depending Mm -hmm. upon the the community, um, she could be married to somebody who is 30 years old or older, um, but that relationship would not have been consummated until she was 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. In many senses, she would have lived with her family or she would have been under the careful watch um, of other people within her husband's household. So that's a good question. So, um, you know, recently I had Caroline Larrington on mm-hmm. and I was asking her about like Danny's marriage. Yeah. Cause Danny's supposed to be 13 and mm-hmm. you know, she realized she's, or she, she's fully noticeably pregnant by, by the time she's 14 years old. Um, would someone like Danny have been considered a child so you're considered a woman. Um, again, like it's really it's sort of contextual and dependent upon year and place. But um, within church law, by that I mean kind of Catholic law, that the age of consent, roughly speaking, I think we're like trying to pin me down, is, is usually considered to be about twelve. And so, yes, yeah, so, I mean she would have been eligible to be married. There were cases where women were married and you know had sex at, at twelve. Um, there, it was much more common for them to be a slightly older um, in that case. Now, I mean, in, in the cases for non-royals, the average age of marriage was like 22 up to 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think that that, that really gets lost. I mean, we're talking like 99% of the population isn't getting married until much later. And that was solely for economic reasons, right? Like you, yeah. you, you had to have a trade if you were a guy, um, in order to start a household, and for women, and um, you know, they were needed at home to raise children and to do and to help assist with their their family work, and so they weren't eager to marry them off until they were able to start their own family. You also see that you know, women, they they had jobs within the home, but many of them were responsible and were helping their family in whatever industry or um, you know job or trade they had too. So it's they were not. They were not sort of, um, you know, throwaway objects that they they were valuable workers. We're going to have Jana Matthews on every week to answer a listener question. Of course, in order to make this work, we're going to need your help. Please email to book at baldmove.com if you have a question for Jana. This can relate to a parallel to a character in Game of Thrones. Does that character have an analog in the medieval world? Or it can relate to customs or lifestyle in the medieval world. So, book at baldmove.com, book at baldmove.com.